The sermon text is Mark 7, verses 1 through 23, and you can find it on page 489 in your paper Bibles. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of their elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? These people honors... These people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained, gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to him, hear me all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then, you, then are you also without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it, enters in, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, we are continuing our study in Mark today. And if you were with us last week, you might remember that we preached on the feeding of the 5,000. And maybe you recall, if you were here, that the, the reason that miracle occurred, the situation that brought it about, was that Jesus saw these huge crowds of people and said they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. And he started to teach them. And he t- they needed so much teaching that he taught for hours and hours, and they went straight through dinner. So now, after dealing with the sheep, this week we come to a passage where Jesus is dealing with the people who were supposed to be the shepherds. He's confronting the teachers, and he's angry. He's frustrated with them. They ask this question about, why don't you observe some of these traditions? And he just, he just unloads on them. I don't know if you noticed that. But he had good reason for it. These people were lost, 
And because they were lost, everyone else was lost as well. And as we look at this today, I want you to recognize their situation, their mistake, was not a mistake that's been lost to history a long time ago, but this is a, a, common, a common mistake today. This is probably one of the most common errors that we are all likely to make, and it takes on hundreds of different forms. So that's what I want us to look at this morning. We aren't careful to understand the mistake they were making and correct it. We will end up just as lost as they were. So today, I, really, I only have two points to make, and they're pretty simple ones. I want us to see that we are all hopelessly defiled, and we must be cleansed. We are all hopelessly defiled, and we must be cleansed. But before we can get into those things, we need to do a little background work. We need to understand what's going on. And so first of all, let's just talk about the situation for a few minutes. Um, it all starts when Jesus and his disciples are sharing a meal with some of the Pharisees and some of the scribes, some of the teachers at the time. And they ask him, why aren't your disciples doing this ritual washing that everyone always does? Why are they eating with defiled hands? But instead of responding with a, a clear answer, Jesus responds like this. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. You, have, you leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. Now maybe you, you see what Jesus is referring to here and you want to know, you know what's the big deal? <laughs> Why is this so bad? It doesn't seem so bad to us, right? Modern science. <laughs> we know washing your hands isn't a bad idea, right? We're, is Jesus really telling people we're not supposed to wash our hands, right? Kids, I want to say this is not your excuse first <laughs> to go to. This is about... Uh, this is not just about washing. This isn't about germs. This is about ritual cleansing. It's a symbolic gesture. We're talking about a handful of, of cold water kind of splashed over your hands, not 45 seconds of warm water and antibacterial soap, right? This is uh, about cleansing. And where it came from was what we read in our Old Testament reading, this uh, Old Testament prescription for the priests, that whenever the priests were supposed to go and offer a sacrifice or a burnt offering or even incense, they needed to wash their hands and their feet. Well, the Pharisees believed there was a priesthood of all believers, that we all should live like priests. And so they decided we should take this command and, and apply it all the time, that we should always wash our hands before every meal or any time we think we may have been defiled. Now, Jesus was frustrated with that. He was frustrated with that because their way of living had caused them to miss the point of the law. Their way of living was, in fact, doing the opposite of what they intended. Instead of giving them uh, cleanliness, it was actually producing unrighteousness and unholiness inside of them. Well, how is that possible? How could following religious traditions make us unholy? How could especially washing your hands make you unrighteous? 
Well, to explain that, I'm gonna, we need to, I need to drop some knowledge on you for a second. <laughs> I need to, to talk a little bit uh, about theology, but, but this is going to be helpful stuff. So pay attention here. Maybe you've heard this before, but if you hadn't, haven't, especially I want you to hear, because you may have been in this situation before. Maybe you're on social media somewhere, or maybe you're watching TV, or maybe you're just having a conversation with your friend, and they say something like, Christians are such hypocrites. They just pick and choose the things from the Bible that they like. They tell people how to live in this area of their life, but meanwhile, they don't stone false prophets. Why do they ignore those verses? Well, let me tell you why. There are three categories of the law. Whenever you're reading the Old Testament, you can find these three categories. They are the moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law. And once you know the difference, it's very easy to tell these three things apart. The moral law is the law found in passages like the Ten Commandments. They are laws that are rooted in the holiness of God, and they reveal to us his perfect standard. They're laws like don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. There are prohibitions against idolatry. And then also the positive instructions. Love your neighbor, care for one another, show mercy, carry out justice. Those are the principles in the moral law. And those things are upheld by Jesus. When Jesus comes and when he teaches, uh, when the Christian community, uh, they follow those laws. In fact, they even expound and expand upon their meaning, right? Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just uh, sleeping with someone's wife that's adultery, but it's even if you have lust in your heart, that's adultery as well. That's the moral law. The second category is the civil law. And the civil law is laws where the nation state, uh, it's laws given to direct the nation state. It applied to a very specific period in Israel's history when God was their leader. And so when you read these laws in the Old Testament, they are laws that, that come with a penalty. Things like, you know, if, if two oxen are fighting and one of them dies, here's the penalty, here's how you deal with it. They're the ones that say, if you find a false prophet, then, then you should stone them. These show people how they were supposed to live when Israel was its own nation state. But now, and even at this period in history, uh, once the nation of Israel was under other governments, they no longer enforced those laws when they were under Roman law. And now today, we don't follow those laws because that period in history is gone. And the third category is the ceremonial law. So moral law, civil law, and then finally, the ceremonial law. And these are the laws that are about ritual and sacrifice. They describe different kinds of, of, of sacrifices that you make to atone for different kinds of sin. And the point of these laws is so that worshipers could approach a holy God. And that's where we're dealing today. The ceremonial law is the category that these traditions fell under. As a part of this sacrificial system, there were also these rules about ceremonial purity and cleanness. It told people that you could only approach God in worship if you ate certain foods and not other foods. If you wore certain forms of dress, if you refrained from touching different kinds of objects, things like that. You know what I'm talking about? You remember these laws? Have you read some of them before? 
And so it might seem strange. We pick up Leviticus and we, we find all these weird passages about mold and discharge and weird hairs growing on your body. And you're like, what is all this for? Well, it has a purpose. And it's connected to those sacrifices. The purpose of these clean laws was to present us with one truth. To vividly show us that human beings are spiritually cannot go into God's presence without purification. That human beings cannot go into the presence of God on their own. In other words, the ceremonial law was meant to remind people that just by ourselves, we cannot stand before God. But the Pharisees, they had taken these traditions and they had subtly twisted them by adding new traditions on top of them. They had taken this hand washing that was supposed to be a reminder that not even the priests, not even the holiest among us can go before God and offer a sacrifice without cleansing. And they turned it into this outward sign of their own righteousness. They turned this reminder of sin into a proclamation of how good they were. It did the opposite of its intention. And so Jesus, he rightly, he blows up at these guys. He says, don't you see that your traditions, they aren't helping. They're actually making things worse. And then he uses another example. He talks about this idea of Corbin, that you could take some of your possessions and, and make a vow and set it aside forever so that it was not available for secular use. And that meant that one day if your parents were sick and dying and you needed to donate something to take care of them, you weren't even allowed to, even if you wanted to. And so the moral law says, honor your father and mother. But these traditions said, no, you can't, because the tradition says you can't. Jesus wants them to, to recognize that these lesser traditions they think they're making them holy, but they are literally sin. They're breaking the law. He says, you think this stuff is producing righteousness in you, but it's sin. All your efforts for holiness, all that stuff is pushing you further away from holiness. It's like those people that get caught in the snow in their cars, right? And they, they know that they're stuck, and so then they start to slam on the gas and spin the wheels. And they think that somehow that's going to help, right? That that's going to push them out. But instead, it just makes the hole deeper. It makes the ice smoother. They're not going to get out that way. Jesus wants them to see your cleanliness laws aren't making you clean. They're making you dirty. That's the background, okay? That's where we're starting with. And now we can get to the first point. We're all defiled. Maybe you hear that explanation and you're like, okay, I get it. I'm convinced. Those Pharisees are bad. Okay, what's next? Those guys were in the wrong. Well, that's not the main point for us. Mark wants us to recognize something bigger. He wants us to see the difference between the laws of men and the law of God. Every single person in this room, I want to suggest that if you are not living by the law of God, then you will be living under some form of the law of men. And before we go any further, we need to just look at something. This is an argument, right? This is a big disagreement between the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus. 
But they do agree on the premise. They all agree on the basic fact that we are defiled. And it's worth mentioning because I'm not so sure we agree on that anymore. I'm not so sure we uh, subscribe to that premise. We don't really know what it means to be defiled, do we? It sounds weird, like some spiritual version of cooties or something, right? <laughs> what is that all about? But I think deep down, if we look at ourselves, everyone has a sense of this. I think in our, our moments of honesty, we all recognize the truth of this. Just look at verse 21. Jesus says, as I list these things, just think about yourself. Out of the heart of men and women come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. I think all of us, when we're being honest, we have to admit that we are aware that there are things in our heart that we don't like. There are things in our heart that just aren't good. There are behaviors. There are thoughts that we're not proud of, that we're even ashamed of, that if anyone might find out, it terrifies us. And the world, right? I know, it, it teaches us to shrug that off and to say, nobody's perfect. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't worry about it. But I want to say that even that is an attempt to clean yourself. Even that is a way that we try to convince ourselves that we are okay, that we're doing just fine. And of course, there's plenty of other ways we do it too. There are lots of ways we try to convince ourselves that we're fine. Religion is, is, a, is one of them. That's what the Pharisees were doing, but that's what every religion does. It says, follow these rules, pray this way, do these kinds of acts, and you're going to be safe. But if religion's not your thing, maybe it's politics. We say, think this way, support these causes, be tolerant and accepting of these people, and also be condemning and smug about these people. And you'll be right, you'll be okay. Who knows, we do it with all sorts of things. We do it with basic lifestyle choices. Here's the right way to eat. Here's how often you should work out. Dress in these kinds of clothes. Hang out with these kinds of people. But whatever it is, whatever standard that, you, that we adopt, they all are serving the same end. Do you see? All of these things are serving the same purpose, to tell us that we are okay, or at least to show us how we could possibly become okay. That's the law of man. That's what it does. But the law of God, on the other hand, is different. The laws of men are designed to show us what to do. But the law of God is designed to reveal what we are. The law of God is meant to the law of man is meant to show us what to do, but the law of God is supposed to show us what we are. Okay, so I told you a second ago there's three different kinds of laws in the Old Testament, right? Moral, civil, ceremonial. Well, now I also want to tell you that all of the law of God has three uses, okay? And the first use of the law, the first 
purpose of the law is to reveal the holiness of God. Commands like, you shall not covet. Meaning, you should not desire things that don't belong to you. You shouldn't desire your neighbor's wife or his car or his house or his job or, or her lifestyle. Commands like, you shall have no other gods before me. There should be nothing in your life that takes precedent or priority above me, the living God. Or commands like, be holy as I am holy. If you take a moment to examine that law, if you take a moment to figure out what it is required to stand in the presence of a holy God, you realize pretty quickly that that is a standard that is far beyond our reach. That definition of perfection is too high for us. The purpose of those laws is not to show us something we're going to be able to achieve, but it's supposed to show us how awesome and how terrifying a perfect God really is. So the laws first, they reveal the holiness of God. And then secondly, they reveal our need for a Savior. If you understand that's what you need to do to reach God, then you have to realize that you don't have any hope. You have to realize that we are sinful and we are separate from God. As the psalmist says, there is not a single person who is righteous. There is not even one righteous person on earth. And then when you start to look at that ceremonial law, you start to realize that, of course, some dead lamb or bird or goat, of course that can't possibly fix the problem. Of course that can't possibly wash away our sins. And certainly not a handful of cold water or the right politics or an hour of Bible study every day. The author of Hebrews says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. See, when we get to the heart of the law, we're laid bare. The law teaches us that God is infinitely holy and righteous and perfect, and we're not. The law is meant to lead us to crisis. It's meant to lead us to that point where we have to say, what am I going to do? What am I supposed to do about this? So I was traveling a couple weeks ago, and one evening I fell in. I did a YouTube deep dive. You guys ever do that? Where you get <laughs> caught on some subject, and you're just endlessly watching videos you had no idea you cared about. And mine was on this guy called The Amazing Randy. <laughs> Anybody ever heard of The Amazing Randy? I had not ever heard of him. He knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> so the amazing Randy was a, a magician, a pretty famous magician, but he was also a, a known atheist and skeptic. He actually became the mentor to Penn and Teller, who we probably all know. Um, and he became famous for not only doing magic, but also disproving psychics and some of these bogus faith healers that were really popular in the 70s and 80s. And one of the videos I was watching, he was just talking about his life and his career and how he started doing this sort of thing. And he began his talk by taking a pill bottle, opening it up, 
and swallowing like 30 pills. And he begins to explain uh, his life calling of exposing fraud. And then a few minutes in, he goes, oh, by the way, those pills, you're probably wondering what they were. Well, I just took a fatal dose of homeopathic sleeping pills. And he said, and unless you're concerned about me, don't worry, I do this every week. And I've been doing it for several years. His point was, these pills, they didn't have any real active ingredients in them. <laughs> they were just a placebo. And he went on to explain, you know, taking sleeping pills that don't really work, it's not a big deal. In the end, the consequences aren't all that, that big. And maybe they help some people feel like they're sleepy. But this type of thing, he said, is very dangerous. And then he went on to describe something very similar that used to be pretty popular. People going to the Philippines to undergo what was called psychic surgery. So people who were diagnosed with terminal illnesses would go to these kind of spiritualist doctors and they would lay on a table and the doctor would reach into your body and pull out these pieces of tumor, these bloody pieces of meat and throw them into a bucket. The only problem was, it was just magic. It was just a sleight of hand trick. The testing showed these things were like chicken livers and kidneys that these guys were, were cupping in their hands. And the people would leave these surgeries thinking that they were healed and then they would die. Here's the point. The law of God is a fatal diagnosis. And the laws of man are placebo pills. They might make you feel better, but it will not address the cancer inside of you. That's Jesus' point here. He says the issue is not in our practice, it's in our hearts. Our hearts are hopelessly defiled. And that means, secondly, that we have to be cleansed. It's a pretty bleak picture. It's a, it's a pretty bleak message. Until you take a step back and you recognize what's happening at this table. Until you take a step back and you recognize what Mark is trying to tell us by passing on this event. I mentioned to you already that the civil law, we don't follow the civil law anymore because it doesn't apply to us. It applies to a nation state that we're not a part of. But you might be wondering, what about this ceremonial law? Why don't we do these sacrifices? Why does Mark seem so dismissive of these cleansing laws? Maybe you noticed as we were reading, there's this little side comment in verse 19. Thus he declared all foods clean. That was a little note from Mark to his original audience about something they were struggling with at the time. The church was wrestling with, do we keep these laws of cleanliness? And that meant, what kinds of food are we allowed to eat? And even what kinds of people are we allowed to so associate with? Because the, the laws of cleanliness said that you shouldn't be with Gentiles. So Jesus, he wasn't actually talking about food here, but that was one of the implications. 
One of the implications was that Christians, we don't need to abide by these cleanliness laws. Well, why? Why is that? Well, it's because Mark knew where the story was headed. He knew that in Christ, the food laws were no longer necessary. And in fact, in Christ, none of the ceremonial laws were needed. Not the clean laws about what foods to eat or how to prepare yourselves for worship. Not the laws about how a priest needed to wash their hands and cleanse themselves in order to enter the presence of a holy God. And not even the sacrifices to atone for our sins. But this is important. It's not because Jesus ignored them. It's not because Jesus dismissed them, but it's because Jesus fulfilled them. Folks, the message of the ceremonial laws was that we cannot enter the presence of God because our hearts are unclean. Our hearts are unclean. That's why we need a purified priest to intercede on our behalf. That's why we need an innocent sacrifice to be offered to pay for our guilt. But all of that stuff was symbolic. All of those things were symbols that were ultimately pointing us to the day when a real intercessor would come and a real sacrifice for cleansing would be made. Folks, when Jesus showed up, he came both as the perfect and pure and clean high priest and as the perfect and once for all cleansing sacrifice of sin. In other words, if the law is our fatal diagnosis, Jesus is the cure. On the cross, he did what we couldn't. He took on all of our uncleanness. He bore all of our sin. He was barred from the presence of a holy God on our behalf. On the cross, he offered himself as the cleansing sacrifice. His blood, his blood that was shed for us is what that water was always pointing to. It's what those sacrifices were always pointing to. His body was what the bulls and the goats and the rams were all about. And through his death, everyone, every single person who comes to him in faith is made clean. And through his resurrection... Scripture tells us that he lives forever as a perfect high priest, always to intercede. Only with Christ as our priest and our sacrifice can we ever be clean in the presence of God. The author of Hebrews, he puts it this way. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near 
with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's what Mark wants us to see here. Our sin, it cannot be fixed by keeping a set of rules. It cannot be fixed by living in a certain worldview. It cannot be fixed by washing with a little water. Our guilt will not be covered by your commitment to do better. Because our problem is not in our actions, it's in our hearts. When David sinned with Bathsheba, do you remember that story? Probably one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament, that he uh, was the king of Israel and he saw this beautiful woman bathing and he seduced her and he slept with her even though she was married. And then to cover it up, he sent her husband out and had him killed to hide it. Before that moment, before that event, he may have been able to convince himself that he was all right, that he was a good guy. But through that sin, he came face to face with the very reality that Jesus talks about in verse 21. That from within, out of the heart of a man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. And David, when he started to pray, when he saw his sin, do you know what he prayed? He didn't pray, God, keep me from doing this again. He didn't pray, God, make me a better person. He prayed, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. In other words, he said, I cannot make myself better. The root is too deep. I need you to come in and create something new in me. I need you to take my old heart and kill it and give me a new heart. And maybe some of you are there this morning. Maybe some of you are at that place where you have come face to face with the fact that you cannot make yourselves better. Maybe you're starting to feel the burden of that distance between God's holiness and your unholiness. Maybe today you're starting to hear again that diagnosis of the law, that you are fundamentally broken and you're beyond repair. Well, if that's you this morning, I want to tell you that the gospel is good news. That Christ has come for broken people. And he hasn't just come to fix them. But he has come to make us new. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. If there's anybody here who desires that, I want to invite you to respond to him today. I want to invite you, I want to invite us to confess our self-saving and ask him to give us a new heart. Ask him to make us new.
And if you're a Christian in this room today, that means that this is true of you. If you're a Christian here today, that means you are a new creation. You have been washed by the blood of Jesus. And there is nothing that can possibly change that. And when that sinks into you, when you realize that God has made you something new, that He has put the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, well then, and only then, are you finally ready for the law. I mentioned there's three uses of the law, right? Show us God's holiness. Convict us of our sin. But there actually is a third use. And it's only for Christians. It's only for people who are in Jesus Christ who have seen their complete and utter unworthiness, who recognize that they depend on Christ alone for their record of righteousness. Only then, from that position, can we once again pick up the moral law and say, how can I live to bring my Father glory? Only then can we pick up the verse, like verse 21, and read about our evil thoughts and our sexual immorality and our theft and murder and adultery and coveting and wickedness and deceit and sensuality and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. And only then can we say, Lord, give me your grace to root this out of my life. Lord, transform me and make me new. Give me holiness. And not a self-righteous holiness, Not that kind of righteousness that that you build up and use as a record to prove your worth above others, but a Christian holiness. A holiness that is dependent upon the grace of God and whose sole purpose is His glory and not ours. If that's what you want today, I want to invite you to cry out to Him. I want to invite you to respond. And pray that he might give you the strength to fight. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. And grateful for, even for your law. Lord, sometimes I read Psalm 119. And I see these psalmists declaring that the, the delight of their heart is your law. And I wonder how that can be. Well, the answer is only in Christ. Only when we know that the sting of death has been removed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Only when we know that we don't keep the law so that you'll love us, but you love us. And now we can keep the law. Lord, I pray for those seeking. I pray for those in need of a new heart. Father, I pray that your spirit would come today and that you would touch them. That you would tell them that they don't have to make themselves a new heart, but that you will do it. Lord, would you redeem and rescue your people today? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.